0: How much solar does the European Union want to add to the grid? And Coldplay signed an agreement with an oil company? Welcome to the Climate Recap from the Beckett Climate Corner, your go-to place for international and U.S.-based climate news. I'm Becky Hogue, a science writer. Today is Thursday, May 12th. Let's jump right into the news you need to start your day. Let's start with some climate events. 91% of the Great Barrier Reef is being impacted by the mass bleaching event going on right now, according to Australian scientists. This confirms that the reef is going through its sixth mass bleaching event on record, the fourth to take place between now and 1998. This and past bleaching events are caused by above-average water temperatures stressing the coral out, which results in them expelling photosynthesizing plankton that they rely heavily on for food. The plankton is what gives coral color. While bleaching doesn't automatically mean the coral will die, it means the coral are starving and are much more likely to die, especially if these temperatures persist. What's crazy is this is the first mass bleaching event to be recorded during a La Nina event, which normally makes waters cooler than normal. The most severe cases of bleaching seem to be occurring in the most popular areas for tourism, which could be due to warmer waters intersecting with more chemical pollution. Saving coral reefs is a big reason for keeping warming below 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels and not settle for even 2 degrees Celsius instead, as this difference could mean life or death for many reefs. Neither Australian political party has proposed a decarbonization plan that would keep the warming below or at 1.5 degrees Celsius. Now to a climate study. Young great white sharks have expanded their northern range by 370 miles since 2014 due to warming waters, according to Monterey Bay Aquarium researchers. The team attached electric tags to 14 of the majestic and ancient sharks after seeing them more often in central California, and overlaid their paths with where their ideal water temperatures were located, and found they're following the heat waves. Now they go all the way up to Aptos, which normally has water about 13 degrees Celsius warm, but in 2020 it reached 21 degrees Celsius. Great white juveniles usually hang out around Santa Barbara, which is about a four-hour drive south. Let's go into some climate victories. The island nation Vanuatu has received support from 1,500 civil society organizations from more than 130 countries as it pushes the International Court of Justice to protect vulnerable island nations from climate change. If it succeeds, the court advisory opinion, though not legally binding, could carry a major legal and moral authority that could help shape international law. The island nation is trying to build support for this motion ahead of the United Nations General Assembly later this year, at which it will need to secure 97 votes to go before the court. The European Union's executive arm is drafting a strategy to more than double solar energy to get off Russian gas, according to a leaked memo obtained by Bloomberg. As part of the Repower EU initiative, it wants to install 300 gigawatts of photovoltaics by 2025 and get over 500 gigawatts from solar by 2030. The legislation would include streamlining the permitting process. It will also include a roadmap for biomethane, a plan to boost green hydrogen production, and raising the clean energy goal for the EU from 40% to 45%. This plan will likely disappoint five member states, including the EU president, who wanted over 1,000 gigawatts of solar to be the 2030 goal. 1,000 gigawatts is roughly the world's current solar capacity. The commission is expected to adopt the package on May 18th. Meanwhile, the United Kingdom presented a new energy bill during the Clean Speech Tuesday. There are 10 main elements to the bill, including extending the energy price cap to keep suppliers from overcharging consumers, introducing competition in onshore energy networks to encourage clean innovation, cleaning up nuclear sites, and investing in nuclear fusion, heat pumps, green hydrogen, and carbon capture and storage. The Queen's speech also announced the Leveling Up and Regeneration Bill to move the UK towards adding 50 gigawatts of offshore wind by 2030. This bill was announced within the British Energy Security Strategy, which also increased nuclear and solar targets. The UK has a goal of ending unabated fossil fuel energy generation by 2035, though this is contradicted by its plan to also increase oil and gas operations in the North Sea. Over in the United States, California's Air Resources Board laid out a roadmap to achieving its goal of reaching net-zero emissions by 2045. The plan calls for a 91% reduction of fossil fuel use by 2045, with the remaining fossil fuels being required to attach carbon capture technology. The plan is not yet final, as it is now open for public comment. Other regulatory bodies, like the California Energy Commission, still need to declare they're on board with the plan, too. At the same time, though, the CEC reopened the public comment phase for solar net metering policies, which determines how much rooftop solar households should be paid by utilities and how much it should cost to add your rooftop solar to the grid. Now for some climate fails. The International Energy Agency recently warned global leaders in its latest renewable energy market update that clean energy growth will flatline after 2023 if no stronger policies encouraging the transition are made in the next six months. On the bright side, 2022 is seeing more growth in some key markets than the agency expected, like wind, solar, bioenergy, and hydropower resulting in the IEA actually raising their targets for these forms of energy. Meanwhile, the largest asset manager in the world, BlackRock, announced it will vote for fewer climate proposals from companies in its investment portfolio this year. They find it too micromanage GE, basically. Quote, we are not likely to support those that, in our assessment, implicitly are intended to micromanage companies. This includes those that are unduly prescriptive and constraining on the decision-making of the board or management, call for changes to the company's strategy or business model, or address matters that are not material to how a company delivers long-term shareholder value. Last year, they supported 47% of shareholders' climate proposals. This next one hurts me. The band Coldplay, which has tried to be celebrity climate activists, signed a deal with the Finnish oil company Neste to have their tour emissions. Neste convinced the naive group to use their sustainable biofuel, which Friends of the Earth has reported is actually made of palm oil linked to deforestation in Malaysia and Indonesia. The director of the Transport and Environment campaign group had this to say about it. Quote, Neste is cynically using Coldplay to greenwash its reputation. This is a company that is linked to the kind of deforestation that would appall Chris Martin and his fans. It's not too late. They should drop their partnership with Neste now and focus on truly clean solutions instead. I hope they realize this mistake and can cancel the agreement. New homebuyers in Canada, listen up. There's a pro gas organization called Fueling Canada that is targeting first time home buyers through advertisements on Facebook and on news sites in a way that looks a little too similar to journalism articles. Fueling Canada was created by the Canadian Gas Association, an industry member group that includes Enbridge, Forbus BC, and TC Energy, the builder of the coastal gas link pipeline currently being contested by the Wet'suwet'en First Nation. Fueling Canada acts like it's a grassroots organization, but really, it's an astroturf group. Let's finish with a developing news story. The UN is appealing for $144 million to offload a decaying Yemen oil tanker before it breaks. It carries four times as much oil as the Exxon Valdez spilled off Alaska in 1989. The old ship off Yemen is ironically called the FSO Safer. It was built in 1976, and it's carrying 1.14 million barrels of oil. It was stranded off Yemen's Ras Isa oil terminal 30 years ago. Yemen tried to maintain it in 2015, but a war with a Saudi-led coalition prevented it from doing so. A little complicated, but what matters now is that it could leak at any minute. And that would cause severe environmental and humanitarian disaster. The fishing industry along that coast would be ruined in a country that already needs way more humanitarian aid than it's getting. The coastline environments will die, and the clean-up will cost an estimated $20 million. So far, the Netherlands, Germany, the UK, the EU, Qatar, Sweden, Norway, Finland, France, Switzerland, and Luxembourg have donated a total of $40 million. So that's not $144 million. We have some more work to do. And that was your climate news for Thursday, May 12th. If you like the work I do, please follow this podcast, give it a five-star rating, leave a review, and consider checking out the Beck Climate Corner YouTube channel. Remember to talk about the climate crisis every single day and to support your local news organizations. Bye for now.